So how does our life get so out of control? What causes us to lose our hunger for God? And why is it so easy for us to drift away from God without even realizing it? Today's message title is my question for you. Are you really hungry? And I know we just did Thanksgiving. Nobody wants to talk about food. But at least for the next few minutes, I want to try to compare our spiritual hunger with our physical hunger. I mean, we know whatever you feed grows. Whatever you starve dies. And if you're not purposely feeding your spiritual man, it will die. There's no uh, pause button on your growth. I know that when I look around my house and any living plant in my life tends to die. I have an agreement with those green living things that if I stay far enough away from you, will you just live? Because I like green things. I really like plants, but they hate me and they see me coming and I can see them shriveling up as I get close to them. So I've got the one fern in my house right now and I talk to it from a distance. Please, I won't try to touch you. Just keep growing. I want it in there, but I know. And I walked over to it because somebody told me, you know, if you pick the dead things off it, you know, it's what you're supposed to do. So I'm picking, I hope this doesn't hurt, really? I'm trying to do this for your own good. Just keep growing. And then I'll tell Brian, did you feed that thing? I think you're supposed to water it, but I don't want to trust myself to water it. But that's what I want to look at just for the next few minutes, is what you feed, what you purposely feed will grow in your life. And you're either feeding your physical man your flesh, or you're feeding your spiritual man. One has to live, one has to die. One has to live, and one has to die. I have a special treat for you today. My son, Isaiah, that I talk about all the time, my oldest boy, and his wife, Rachel, which she's out there with my Owen Rampage, Victor Maurer is here today, and Isaiah agreed to team preach with me, and who else but a young man could tell stories of an extreme appetite. Isaiah, would you come share? Thank you, Pastor Mom. How are you guys doing today? Yes, I am Isaiah, infamous or famous, depending on which story is being told. I am the eldest son of Pastor Brenda and Brian. I do love to eat. However, when you said, who better to uh, explain appetite and hunger, I did take it as a slight because I've been losing weight. Okay? I've been working and... It just makes me more hungry. You know when you exercise, you get more hungry. Did you know that? That happens. So I'm calling from the pulpit, no more exercising. I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. I'm sorry. I redact that. I'm a fast talker, and I want to let you know now, I'm going to move a lot. I'm going to talk a lot. I might yell. Sorry, I'll remember to pull the microphone away if I'm going to yell, because... I'm a professional. Not really. I don't get paid for this. 
I did grow up in church. Uh, I remember uh, at the very first Charlotte Assembly of God, there's two because they build a new building. Uh, I remember being under the pews, uh, rolling. My mom thought I was there. I was rolling, and then I would roll all the way back, and I'd, she's still praising or sitting and writing notes. And I would roll all the way underneath. And then roll all the way back. So I've been in church a lot, so I want to apologize because I tend to follow rabbits. Uh, I have a plan. Who knows if we'll follow my plan. And also, we're going to be saying the word hunger a lot. Hungry, appetite, two apologies on this. It will make you physically hungry. So I'm sorry. And also, uh, I understand that uh, Hunger Games Part 2 recently came out. I'm just going to throw that out there. I did see it. My one-sentence review is that it was predictable when it didn't need to be 7.5 out of 10. Still worth the see. What is an appetite? So we'll talk about physical appetite. We'll talk about emotional appetite. And we'll even talk about spiritual appetite. But I want to tell you, appetite, in regards to physical appetite is the desire to eat food, sometimes, emphasis on sometimes, due to hunger. Appealing foods can sometimes stimulate an appetite even when hunger is absent. Appetite exists in all higher functioning life forms and it serves to regulate adequate energy intake to maintain your metabolic needs. Listen, I love Christmas. Shout out. Oh my goodness, I love Christmas. I love Christmas so much, my wife and I have already watched Elf twice this year. Already. We have had our Christmas tree up since November 2nd. Hey, I, and I'm telling her, we purchased a house earlier this year, and I'm like, let's go buy some Christmas lights and put them on and keep them up all year long so that I don't have to take them down. That's just lazy. But anyway, I love Christmas so much, but I'll be honest, I love Thanksgiving just a little bit more. Just a little bit. Now, there's not a lot of fanfare with Thanksgiving. There's not a lot of decorations. You don't put up a Thanksgiving tree, although we could put up a Thanksgiving tree. But, and really, the main uh, um, decoration, the main thing is the turkey, and we kill that. I mean, so, unless you're a vegetarian, which you can leave. That's a joke. It's a joke. No, it's not. And I even, I, even, I even train for Thanksgiving. You can ask my wife. What I like to do is I like to eat a little bit more, you know, come October. And then halfway through October, I start chewing gum, just bubble gum. Mm, 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 mm. And then a couple weeks of that, I'll take the gum out, I'll let it sit for a day, and I'll come back to it because it's hard. And then it takes a mm, mm. Mm, to get that thing going soft again. I train. I love Thanksgiving. I get excited. What other day of the year do we get to grab an oversized, not normal, no, 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 an oversized double-ply paper plate and fill that sucker with mashed potatoes and gravy, homemade macaroni and cheese that happens to have a breaded crust on it. Thank you very much. Stuffing, baked beans, rolls, too, because I said rolls. Thank you very much. Salad, a little salad, because 
don't worry about this. Salad, corn, jello salad thing. And then if you're a part of my family, you get, to, uh, you get to decide from two different types of turkey because that's how we roll. Of course, we have the normal oven roasted, which is classic. I mean, just mm, 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 mm. I'm so hungry. I'm so hungry. But then what we also do is we also deep fry a turkey to the glory of God. Can I get an amen? Oh, Lord. And the absolutely amazing part about Thanksgiving is once you've completely cleared off that oversized double-ply paper plate, and there isn't any more. I mean, you soaked up the gravy with the second roll. That's why you have two, one to eat first, the one to soak it up, and now you've got another oversized double-ply paper plate. No one bats an eye when you go up for seconds. Oh, no. But really, we all know that when you go up for seconds, it's really just to get the things that you really want, Like, you get a little bit of everything the first time, just to be polite. Listen, I don't like baked beans, but I mean, someone took the time to open the can. You know what I'm saying? So the second time you go up there, you fill that sucker up with just what you want. And you sit back down, and your wife leans over. Do you really need half a plate of macaroni and cheese, two more rolls, and more turkey? I said, yes, (laughs) ma'am. I do. But it's not over. No. It's not over. See, what happens is now you're you're full. And I, I mean, let's be honest. The reason we have Thanksgiving with our families and not necessarily with strangers or friends is because after seconds... We all unbutton our pants. I mean, if you don't, you're doing it wrong. So you lean back, you unbutton your pants, and it's just about the time when you're hurting your back on that, you know, that metal folding chair because you don't have enough normal chairs and you're hurting, and you realize, dessert! So you get yourself back up, which takes a little bit of effort, but no one, no, no one groans. Then, Oh, no, you don't button your pants up because, let's be honest, you can't button them up at this point. So you go back to the dessert uh, uh, table because that's my family. We have a table. It's not just one area. And you look at that little CD-sized paper plate. You're like, what the heck is this? I'm not going to fit anything on here. You go back to the normal table, and you grab one of those oversized double-ply paper plates, and I'm going to fill that thing up with pumpkin pie and apple pie. I'm going to get a brownie and two Reese's cup uh, cookies. And I said, oh, what is this? There's peanut butter pie and coconut cake. Well, I'll have a couple of those too. <laughs> you see, appetite really doesn't have much to do with hunger. Of course it can. Don't get me wrong. I mean, when you're hungry, you have an appetite for almost anything. But when you're in front of something that is appetizing, hungry or not, you may find yourself wanting seconds. 
As human beings, we are all driven by our appetites, aren't we? We have a physical appetite. We have a spiritual appetite. We have an emotional appetite. As you get older, we learn how to discipline those appetites, though. You shouldn't eat ice cream for breakfast. You shouldn't eat eight pieces of cake in one night. You learn to discipline those appetites. And as a Christian, we need to call those appetites into check on a regular basis. Because what you feed will grow. Don't we know, Isaiah? John Piper says, when God is the extreme hunger of our hearts, he will be the supreme in our everything. So I'll ask you again, what causes us to lose our hunger for God? And why is it so easy to drift away from God without even realizing it? I should have asked you at the beginning of this message to turn to Hosea. Because I have to agree, most of us don't know where that book is. <laughs> That's why version is so important on your iPhone or your iPad or your whatever droid thing you might have. But yeah, we won't mention them. But I want to look at Hosea chapter 11. And let me just give you a little synopsis of this book. Hosea is a prophet of God who was commanded by God to go marry, well, let's just call her a not-so-innocent woman. And even when he gave his heart to her, took her as his wife, she still committed adultery and kept going out and sleeping with other men and kept going out and kept going out. And it actually says that it broke his heart. He did not just do what God commanded. He gave his all into what God commanded him to do and gave his heart over to this adulterous woman. But God commanded him to do that because as a prophet, he was commanded to speak to the nations and tell them that as we do in our life, and that's what this whole book is about, um, he was speaking to Israel and saying, you know, you keep prostituting yourself with these other gods. You keep following these other things that seem to satisfy you, but they're not. I'm the only one that can satisfy you. I'm your God, and I brought you up, and I loved you and held you, and I gave you my whole heart, but you keep turning away from me. So Hosea is all about this relationship, and it dramatically illustrates Israel's situation that she was going to be turned over into slavery because of her choices. And God has to do that with us sometimes. He has to say, you know what? Like the prodigal son, you, you want, you, you can. He gives us that choice. If you want to chase after those other gods, if you want to chase after those other appetites, you can. He's not going to go around and tell you no, 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 slap your hand and throw you in, you know, time out, even though I wish you would more. He lets us make choices and waits for us like a loving father to come to our senses and come back. 
But let's look at this together in Hosea 11, verses 1 through 7. It says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And I called my son out of Egypt. But the more I called to him, the farther he moved from me. Offering sacrifices to the images of Baal and burning incense to idols. I myself taught Israel how to walk, leading him along by the hand. But he doesn't know or even care that it was I who took care of him. I led Israel along with my ropes of kindness and love. I lifted the yoke from his neck and I myself stooped down to feed him. But since my people refuse to return to me, they will return to Egypt and will be forced to serve Assyria. War will swirl through their cities. Their enemies will crash through their gates. They will destroy them, trapping them in their own evil plans. For my people are determined to desert me. They call me the Most High, but they don't truly honor me. That verse 7 says, for my people. He's not talking about people who don't even know God yet. He says, my people are determined to desert me. One translation says, my people are bent on backsliding. My people. My people. The Christians. The ones who call God my most high. But they don't truly honor me. Over in chapter 13. Verses 4 through 6, he goes on to say, I have been the Lord your God ever since I brought you out of Egypt. You must acknowledge no God but me, for there is no other Savior. I took care of you in the wilderness, in that dry and thirsty land. But when you had eaten and were satisfied, you became proud and forgot me. When you had eaten and were satisfied, you became proud and forgot me. See, it's easy to cry out when you need help. It's easy to cry out to God and call him your most high and your provider when you can't provide for yourself. But it's a lot harder to commit your dependence on God every day every week, every month, when you can take care of yourself. Right? And that's what he's saying. You've went ahead and found that you can get your own food, fill yourself up, and then you forget me. We're bent on backsliding because we're eating. We found a way to pacify and that word, I mean, when I see, uh, since we've had our grandson in the house this last few days, I like the pacifier. I really do. Oh, you're crying? Plug. She's got one that says mute button. On. <laughs> Stick that thing in that hole that's making some noise. But does it give him any food? No. It pacifies it tricks his mind into thinking I'm getting something but he's getting nothing and that's what we do 
We can fill our mouths full of stuff. We take care of ourselves, and it pacifies us. It tricks our mind into thinking we're getting real food, and it's not. You cannot take care of your soul. You cannot feed your spirit on anything of this world. Oh, it will pacify you. It will trick you into thinking God's taking care of me because I'm taking care of myself. But it's not that dependence, that childlike dependence. So how does our life get so out of control? I believe we begin to develop a pattern of independence that draws us away from God. It seems harmless at the time taking care of ourselves, but leads to a prayerless, self-reliant lifestyle that calls God our most high, but it doesn't honor him as our all-providing heavenly father. What's there to pray about if I can take care of myself? Oh, I'll come back. Kumbaya, my Lord, I'll come into ah, uh, and go back in six days. I'll live my own way. Actually, more than it's let's just call it seven because an hour and a half in service doesn't really do anything. If this is all of God that you have in your life is your hour and a half here, it cannot sustain you. It's tricked your mind into pacifying that you're actually, this is where I get fed, liar. You cannot get fed to sustain you enough in an hour and a half for a whole week. That's a lie from the pits of hell. He's saying, you know what? If you don't do it for six and a half other days a week, go ahead and go to church. Satan is not afraid of you coming to church. Do it. Because then you've pacified yourself into thinking that you're okay for six and a half more days. That's a lie. It's junk food. Junk food is what you're filling your life up with. It cannot satisfy. Philippians 3.19 says they are headed for destruction. Why? Because their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things. And they think only about this life here on earth. So what's been your junk food? What is junk food? I was thinking about this when I, this message was stirring within me. How do you determine if it's junk food? Well, there's a litany of tests. You, know, you, can, you can think of a hundred different things. But... Let me ask you, what do you go to first when you have extra time? Extra time. Because I don't know about you, I value my time. I really do. To me, I would rather give money, throw money at something, and I ain't got much, but I'd rather throw money at something than my time. Time to me is valuable. So when I want to say what do you, because it is, and we'll be going through the blessed life, money's an important part, but it's also your time. So what do you spend your extra time? When you have extra time, what do you go to first? Is it TV? Um, is it Pinterest? Is it Facebook? Is it family? 
Do you know your family can be a God to you? Oh, too bad. You voted me in. You can't get rid of me now. Too bad. Because that, I'll tell you, that is like sacrilege. You can't mention that from the pulpit. Because everybody, and we all do, hello. I mean, you've got to be a wicked person if you don't hold your family dear. Dear to your heart, close to your heart, and don't anybody touch my family time. That's why my time is so important to me. Because that time means family time. But a family takes up more of my time than I give to God, it's become my God. And I can't, I can't give the best part of me to my family if the best part of me hasn't been with the best part, which is God. You can't truly love your spouse. You can't truly love somebody until you truly know love, and that's God. It's a false, it's a pseudo-love. We all deserve, now let, you know, let me just say, we all deserve some downtime. I am not saying, <laughs> that throw away TV. I like TV. I won't go into it. But I like Pinterest. I like Facebook. I like playing cards. Shh, boo, horrible. Go ahead and erase that before we put that online, okay? I'm <laughs> not telling on myself. Oh, Lord. I, sometimes I feel like when I'm preaching, I start off in the driver's seat, but then I feel like the Holy Spirit's saying, move over, it's time for me to drive, and he takes the wheel, and I don't want to tell some things, but it's like, please don't make me tell that one. Anyway, Wayne was sat with us for Thanksgiving, and I so enjoyed, and I, I have to admit, I sat there in my chair thinking a little puffy of myself that, see, we even invite people that aren't our family and for friends, and then we taught them how to play Mexican poker. I'm so sorry, Wayne. I'm sorry. But you did win one, didn't you, baby? Yeah. Yeah. Hear that change going in that dish. Oh, it's... I ain't going to say that word. I can be politically incorrect once in a while. But anyway. Huh? It's okay? Okay. So I'm not saying to throw away everything, every little downtime, every relaxing time. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just asking you to just evaluate. Do you have more downtime that you're spending on things that don't whet your appetite for God? I mean, I was even watching the news this morning, but it was like I was looking through the news, and I was just saying, God, I just want more of you. Just fill me with more of you. I can be sitting there watching TV and still be hungry and thirsting for God and talking to God. I don't turn God off. That's what I'm trying to get you to do is turn God on in your life and leave him on. Don't hit pause. Don't hit fast forward. Don't keep rewinding the same old things the way we used to do 100 years ago. And, you know, it's not good unless we go back 100 years, you know. I'm just saying keep going. You know, so when you're having that coffee o'clock, thank you, God, for these coffee beans. They're so good. And Denny's never going to taste of this goodness ever again because he just threw you up. Anyway. And 
You know, when you're eating that second piece of pie that you can thank you, Lord, for the stretchy jeans, you know? <laughs> Whatever. But seek to fill your day with God. Insert God in, number one, the first part, the best part of your day, but then throughout your day. Hunger changes the way you view your circumstances, and it realigns your priorities. But remember, you have to call those appetites into check. Am I thirsty more? Am I hungry more for fill in the blank? Or am I for God? I mean, when you, when you said that question about would you give up and sell everything you had right now if God asked you to, it's easy when you have nothing. What do I got? Got a coupon for McDonald's. You can have it, God. I give it all to you. It's harder, though, when you have more or value more. But really, that's what you need to do. You need to be calling those things into check all the time. You know, God, do I value you? more than my family, or do I value my family more than you? And if I do, I'm sorry, God, and that doesn't mean you turn your back and start being mean to your family. God, do I value my job and how I can provide for my family more than how you can provide for my family? Hunger changes the way you view your circumstances and aligning your priorities. Think about it. When you have a hunger for a juicy prime rib, and again, sorry, Denny, a juicy tomato. It's just not the same, buddy. I'm sorry. I love you, man, but I don't understand you. Anyway, when you have a hunger for a juicy prime rib, loaded baked potato, fried green beans, no matter how good I preach, you won't hear a word I say. I can smell it. Really? I could bring in a cheeseburger, a bacon cheese, a loaded double stacked bacon cheeseburger. You could eat it and be full, but you're still thinking about the prime rib. It doesn't remove that appetite because you're thinking about it. You're pondering it. You're entertaining it. You're feeding that appetite. When you're constantly feeding that spiritual appetite for more, God, I'm not satisfied. I need you more, God. I need you more, God. Those little junk foods that will come throughout your day, which some are okay. I mean, trust me, I didn't get this size from not liking cookies. It's okay, but I'm not going to set down to a breakfast of ice cream. I want the better. When you have a hunger for an emotional need, we all feel that at one time or another. Some of us are way too much. I need, I'm lonely. I feel lonely. All you can think about is that. I'm lonely. I don't have any friends. All you talk about is that. You need to fill that emotional hunger. You need it. You start pondering on it. You're training it. You're feeding it. I'm lonely. I'm lonely. I need an, I have an emotional need. I have an emotional need. And so you start searching out things to fill that need. 
Find a friendship. Get in a relationship, sometimes bad. Or you jump on the illusion of Facebook. You know, Facebook is a pseudo-friendship. You know, you can count your friends on Facebook, but if you can't sit down with them face-to-face, -face, it's just a facade. Facebook is just an illusion of friendship. And it has pacified and tricked your mind into thinking that's a real relationship. And it's not. As a matter of fact, more and more and more, I hear horror stories of people that are pulling themselves away from real relationships because of the pacifier of Facebook. They're getting their need met in a different place, in a junk food instead of a real food that you need. You are built to need relationship, each other. And so Satan, and I, I like Facebook and everything, and it's good for some things, but when it removes you from face-to-face -face relationship touch, and, and I'm here, and I feel your emotion, I see your body language, when it removes you from that and tries to stick that pacifier in your mouth, it's wrong. That's for a whole nother message. Anyway, we were all born with a hunger for God, a deep desire, an appetite for a spiritual connection with our Heavenly Father. Yet over time, we've learned how to fill up our hunger or pacify this hunger with other things until our appetite for God is gone. Do you know that when you are born, you actually desire the healthy food? You have to be trained to want the junk food? I know, it's just sorry. Yeah. I, and I raised six kids, and I have to tell you, I was one of those, oh, you don't like that? Here, try this. Oh, you don't like, oh, I'll make you this. Instead of making them, because I had a friend in Marshall, and her kids got excited over vegetable stir fry. I'm like, you're weird. Really? But to understand that we have to be trained to enjoy junk food. Of course it tastes good. I mean, what does the Bible say? Sin is pleasurable for a season. <laughs> It's, but it's junk food. We were born for that hunger, that desire for God. But we've trained ourselves by that pacifier, tricked our mind into thinking that this is okay, this is okay. You know, as long as I go to church on Sunday, I'm all right. And I am really good if I come Thursday night too. John Piper said, if you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things and there is no room for God's greatness. Have you lost your hunger for God? Oh gosh, we would never say that out loud, would we? We don't even want to believe it's possible. 
But most of us are unaware that we have lost our hunger for God. If you can turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. I'd like to... uh, I like to consider myself a pastor. Of course, if you call me Pastor Isaiah, I will not answer to it. It's just how I am. And when Pastor Mom here had given me Revelation chapter 3 to look into, to preach on, to expound on, I thought, and I get an hour with this, right? Oh, my goodness. So uh, a little, a little, a little, a little history, if you will. The book, the writing, the passage, uh, the revelation of Revelation was written and penned by John, uh, the um, the disciple, uh, John the Beloved, um, also one of the whoo, sons of thunder. Shout out! John is considered the. Uh, disciple of love because he talks about love more than anyone. He, in his own gospel, he refers to himself as John. No, 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 no. As that cool son of thunder guy. No, 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 no. He refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loves. And then there's Peter and, you know, and then there's, there's James and then there's the one that Jesus loves. Someone's a little high on themselves, I tell you. Anyway, no, 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 John is amazing. He pens the Gospel of John. He, he pens 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, which... Uh, do I have any students in the room? Can I see your hand? No? Anyone who's in high school, middle school? Okay. Hey, little shout-out to you guys. If you're like, hey, what am I going to read next in the Bible? 1st and 2nd John. Kind of skip 3rd John, but that's just me. That's just me. It's a great reading. Perfect for devotion time. Okay, back on track. Revelation chapter 3, whatever verse I'm in, 14 specifically. If we look at it, it's written in quotation form. And if you've got one of those special Bibles, you realize when you look at it, it's not just black letters like all the other things in the Bible. We look at it, and it's actually red letters. That means that John is quoting someone very important named Jesus. It's very important that we remember that this isn't John's word. This isn't John's ideas. These aren't John's opinion. These aren't John's thoughts. No, these are John quoting Jesus Christ. Verse 14, write this letter to the angels of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. Jesus. (laughs) Verse 15, Jesus says, I know all the things you do. That you are neither hot nor cold, and I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. 
You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Verse 18, so I advise you to buy gold from me. Gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments for me so you will not be shamed by your nakedness. And ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. And we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious, and I sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. He says, I know all the things you do. Whoa. That's great. God saw the time when I was on my knees, bawling out, asking for more of Jesus. God, I just want all of you, your Holy Spirit. He saw that. He saw that. He saw when I got up because I get up at 4.30, when I got up at 3.30 because I wanted to spend an extra time with Jesus in the Word of God before I went to work. He saw that, Pastor Neil. He saw that. He also saw when I decided to, you know, just watch television for five hours when I called in sick one day. He also saw when I decided to just, you know, sleep through my first four alarms instead of spending any time with Jesus. He says, you're hot and you're cold at the same time. You're yes and you're no. You're in and you're out. You're up and you're... Okay, anyway... He says, you're lukewarm. That's disgusting. I want to point out that he says, I will spit you out of my mouth. Spit is an action, a very direct action. Meaning he's not just going to let this thing dwell. He's not just going to let this thing stir. He's literally going to get rid of you. He later says, buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire, then you will be rich. He's talking to these people who said, listen, I got all I have. I got all I need. I don't need anything else. It's like, no. Yes, you have things. But no, you don't have the one thing that I have. Be diligent and turn from your indifference. This, this is the sin of the church in Laodicea. The sin was indifference, apathy, a lack of interest, a lack of concern, and a lack of enthusiasm. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. This is why Jesus is standing at the door and he's knocking. The church was content with what they had. Jesus wasn't in the building. 
They had had what they had. They had been saved. They had been set free. And they're like, we're good. And Jesus is going, hey, 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 hey. And he doesn't stop. Why doesn't he stop? Because he says, if anyone hears, to me, when I read that, I read things differently because I have a different mind than you. I read things differently. He says, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears, that means not a lot of people are hearing. When I say, hey, if anyone here likes Coldplay, raise your hand. I don't expect a lot of people because I said the word anyone. Of course, they're going to be shout out. There's going to be some people that do like Coldplay, but not a lot because I said the word anyone. So Jesus says, if anyone hears my voice, this hurts. There's going to be a lot of people, Pastor, a lot of people who think they're safe, that are content, and Jesus is knocking on the door, and they're not going to get up to answer the door. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. I love how the New Testament is laid out. Here we're reading how dire the situation is, how much we've fallen short, and that we are the ones to blame. But as always, Jesus, the Christ, offers himself as the way out. He says, I stand at the door and I knock. If you hear his voice and you open the door, he will then indeed come in and share a meal. And here, he's talking about sharing a meal as an act of intimacy. It's an act of friendship. Listen, it's nice when you're in a big cafeteria in a big restaurant and you're sitting and I'm at my table and I look over and there's people over there. Hey, how you doing? And there's people over here and hey, how you doing? But until they come to my table, it's not intimate. I don't have to look them in the eyes, but Jesus says, listen, open the door, let me in and we will share a meal together. What are you willing to do? Are you just indifferent with the whole situation? Do you have any interest? Is this even a concern to you? And my question is, are you content with the amount of Jesus in your life? Because I tell you, the church in Laodicea was content with how much they had. They were content with how much Jesus they had. And Jesus himself issued a warning to them. A disciplined hunger is the difference between wanting something or anything now and waiting for something good. You have to discipline your hunger. Retrain your appetite for God's best. Not what's quick, not what's easy, not what will just pacify. You see, God is not limited to our time restraints. God, I want all of you. If you can just come in the next couple minutes, that would be great. The best God has for us usually comes when we, and we haven't spoke this word in decades, tarry. That means wait on God till he shows up. 
Wait on God. That's that persistent widow that keeps bugging that judge over and over and over again. That means staying on your face, sucking carpet until God touches you. And you know, that used to bug me because like Isaiah, we sometimes ask questions that other people, or maybe you ask them, you just don't verbalize them. I used to, I mean, I would be sucking carpets, not running down, crying, and I instantly want God to scoop me up. And I remember there was one time I was snotting and tear, and I, I even pulled myself up a little bit and, you know, a big wet spot, and you kind of just want to move over a little bit and look at the next person. Hey. And I thought, God, what's taking so long? I thought you were here already. Aren't you supposed to be everywhere? Your Holy Spirit supposed to be in me? Why do I feel like you leave me to just cry and throw a fit? And no. Maybe there's something that needs to come out of me. <laughs> Maybe I need to lay something down. I mean, have you ever saw a two-year-old throwing a fit on the carpet and you want to go over there and scoop them up real quick? Matter of fact, I used to be that parent. Don't you dare, right? Don't you dare throw a fit. Sometimes I think they need to throw a fit and not give in to them. You're still not getting it. You're still not getting it. You're still asking for the wrong thing. I'm not giving it. I'm not giving it. Got to get that out. But we don't want to tarry. We don't want to wait for God. God says, I have the best for you right here. Can you just give me? what you've been pacifying yourself with. I have something better. Don't limit God to your own time restraints. So what's been stealing your hunger? I'm wrapping up with this. Philippians 3.8, Paul says, Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain more of Christ. Have you shoved so many things in your life, in your heart, in your mind, in your time, in your emotions, that God has no more room? Kind of like the church of Laodicea. You filled up your life so full that you actually pushed God out, and you are just doing church. You're just doing Going through the motions. Paul also said in 1 Corinthians 10.23 that everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Just because you can. Just because I can sit there and watch TV doesn't mean it's beneficial. So sitting there for five hours or six hours or eight hours might not be beneficial. Doesn't mean you can't just relax now and then. But let me challenge you with this. How many of you want more of God in your life right now? But how many times have we said this? You have as much of God in your life right now as you want. If you want more of God in your life, why aren't you going after more of God in your life? Rearrange 
your priorities. Rearrange your situation. Rearrange your circumstances. Rearrange your time. Reevaluate your appetites. Pinpoint the junk food in your life. Do things that whet your appetite for more of God. And I have to tell you, I got to be honest, it will be like grabbing that celery stick and starting to chew on it. You're like, this is tasteless. Denny, what's wrong? Taste horrible. How can anybody love this compared to a cookie? It will feel unnatural. It will feel like a waste of time. You'll get done eating that whole celery stick. You'll get done with your 15, 20 minutes of your devotion time, and you'll think of 1,000 other things that need to get done. And you pray, you get down and you pray, and all of a sudden you go from your prayer list to your grocery list. You're like, what happened? But it's retraining your appetite. It will take a while before you'll actually start desiring the better things, the things of God. You have to retrain that appetite. When was the last time you fasted? Who wants to talk about that? We're getting ready to go through a week of prayer and fasting the beginning of January. But if you only wait for the one week a year, it's wrong. Fasting should be an every day, not every day, every, a part of your every week, at least once a week. Why? Because it realigns your appetite. Now, if you're just going without food to tell other people, I fasted today, it's not doing anything. I want more of you, God, so I'm setting down this. I want more of you, God, so I'm not going to do this. Fasting realigns our deepest need, puts proper perspective on what we need and what we want. I challenge you, commit at least one day a week to fast. Not so you can mark it off your checklist. Okay, so here it is. Hosea 14.4 says, I will, God says this. After he went through all this, remember what we read about how he raised us up? But we go, we're bent on that backsliding. But he says, I still love you. He still stands at the door and he knocks. And Hosea 14.4, God says, I can heal their backsliding. I can heal their backsliding because I love them freely. He doesn't divorce you. He, it, he doesn't walk away from the door. He continues to stand at the door. The warning Jesus gave to the church of Laodicea is a warning for us today. Believers, Christians, his own, were sitting at their tables, eating, drinking, and yet some, I don't, I don't even understand how, just things crowded Jesus out of their home, out of their heart, pushed him right outside and shut the door on him, and yet he continued to stand at the door and knock. Hey, hey, what a gentleman. He doesn't barge in. What the heck are you doing? You pushed me out. No, he stands at the door and knocks. It's okay, I understand. 
it's okay, I love you. I'm here, I'm waiting. And Hosea, remember, God said, my own people are determined to desert me. Have you deserted God in some way? You call him your most high, but you're bent on backsliding because you've eaten and are satisfied, and then you forgot him. Let me have everybody just close their eyes. God, we all fall into this category. <laughs> that we stick things in our mouth that pacify our hunger. And it's tricking our mind into thinking that it's giving us what we need. When God, you said you are all we need. You are our Savior. And everything else is garbage. God, right now, if that's you, if you just say, Pastor Brenda, I, I feel like I've been filling up on junk food. I've somehow lost my hunger for God. With nobody else looking around, just raise your hand. Let me see. I want to pray for you today that this message was for you. I see your hands. I see your hands. I know it's easy. I see your hands. It's easy. We lose our hunger because we've stuck that pacifier in our mouth. Maybe you're sitting here today and you've never made Jesus your Lord and Savior. Or you had at one time, but you not only pacified yourself into thinking you're okay, you ran your own way. And like the prodigal son that had to go off and do life on his own, you realized you're eating pig slop and you want to come home. Remember, Jesus stands at the door. He's knocking. Whether you're a Christian of 100 years, 20 years, 2 years, he still stands at the door and knocks. If you're ready to make Jesus Christ the Lord, leader of your life, it's a simple prayer. You just need to cry out from your heart that, God, I'm tired of doing life on my own. I'm sorry I've tried to do life on my own, filling up on junk food when you are the real food I need. You're the bread of life. And right now, Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. And I will serve you. I will follow you. I will honor you from this day forward with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I give it to you. It's that simple. And today could be begin your day with God, the leader and Lord of your life. And let me just speak to the rest of you who raised your hand. You need to continue to retrain your appetite. 
And Lord, I just ask right now as we close in prayer, Lord, that you let the words of John Piper be our prayer, our everyday prayer, that you, Lord, would be the extreme hunger of our heart, that nothing would ever pacify us again. God, that by your Holy Spirit, you would quickly, quickly call us into uh, an awareness when we're trying to stick something else in our mouth. God, that you alone are our heart's desire, our deepest longing, our most extreme hunger. And everything else, let it be counted as garbage. That we would continue to feed the spirit that you've given us. Lord, that everything else, that this flesh would be crucified and die. That your spirit would reign free in our lives. Move us and motivate us to walking out your word, your purpose for our life. God, let us shine your glory in this dark world. We have been called to be the light. We have been called to be your light shining in this darkness. Have your way, God, have your way. Mm, I don't, just don't feel like I can end right now. Can everybody just stand up? Crystal, if you can just come back up to the... If you have a prayer need, if you just want to come suck carpet for a while and let God just realign those appetites, don't run out. Remember, <laughs> don't limit God to your time frame. He has something better for you, and I don't want you to leave because you're looking at your watch. Because whatever can come outside those doors isn't what's most important. Right now, this time, right here, this is what's most important. And if you came in here sick or you have an emotional need or you have a physical need, a healing need, whatever it is, you need to come up to the altar. Can I just get the prayer team to come up? Come up. Meet these people up here. If you made a commitment today or recommitted your life today to Jesus, come up here. Tell somebody today. We have these little books down here at the altar called The New Life. Grab one. But grab somebody and let them know. Let them know. So let's spend some time at the altars. Just a couple more minutes. Again, <laughs> I apologize, I went a little long today. But God has something better for us. So don't leave, don't leave, don't leave too fast.